How many of you folks out here knew what was going to happen in 2020? How many of you knew what was going to happen in, in 2021? How many of you know what's going to happen in 2022? No one? No prophets in the congregation today? Okay. So how do we get through years like that? And how do we get through the years to follow? Who guides us? What's the purpose of all of this? Right now, as you can see, there's, there's a lot of anxiety. And I think what's happening is that the world is beginning to question the meaning that it has assigned to things, the purpose that it, it once found itself in. And people are wondering, well, wait a second, I thought this was li- what life was all about. What happened? And now that life is, is kind of fading away, isn't it? It's changing. It's changing really, really fast. And people are wondering, what do I have to hold on to? Where am I headed? How do I get through this dark time? Well, there's options. People give advice all the time. People give meaning to life, meaning and purpose to individuals, and actually how to navigate through difficult times. Listen to what Stanley Kubrick the late film director, said about his view of life. He says this, The very meaninglessness of life forces man to create his own meaning. He said the most terrifying fact about the universe is not that it's hostile, but that it's indifferent, doesn't care. And he says, however vast the darkness, we must supply our own light. There you go. How's that make you feel? Give you a little warm and fuzzy inside? I'm just going to look at some of the words and how defeating they are. Meaninglessness? Hostile? Vast? Darkness? Must forces own. Folks, that's a worldview. Kubrick offers that to each and every one of you, and he says, look, here's how you're going to get through life. So number one, life means absolutely nothing. Therefore, you must create your own meaning. You just got to figure it out for yourself. Number two, life gets very, very dark. But... There's no outside help for that, so you must then create and supply your own light, your own light. Isn't that crazy? Kubrick offers a belief system, and as a matter of fact, many people in this world actually share that. And, and you, you, you hear this all the time. People create their own purpose, people create their own meaning, And people provide their own light in order to navigate through this world. And you're kind of seeing those foundations being shaken right now, aren't you? And people are asking this question again. What is the meaning behind all this? Well, I want to pit Kubrick and those who think like him against someone else who makes a very, very different claim. And he says just the opposite. Someone who gives us meaning, someone who gives us purpose, and someone who 
doesn't give us light, but is the light. His name is Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us to be left in the dark regarding life. So we're going to shed some light on this topic. Sorry, there's going to be a lot of light puns today. Saw that coming. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're in the dark. Sorry. So I say three rays, three rays of hope, three rays of revelation, three rays, three points, however you want to call it, uh, that we're going to look at today. We're going to break this down. We're going to keep comparing it back to what Stephen Kubrick has said. We're going to apply it to our lives here today. So the first ray is the needed illumination, uh, verse 12. So remember, just to set the stage again, Jesus is teaching in the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, This is where he kind of picks up on the second symbol that is really prevalent in that feast, and that is the symbol of light. So then Jesus again spoke to them, saying this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'd like to recommend a movie. It's, uh, It's, I don't think it's by Kubrick. But it's actually called The Current War. I don't know if anyone's ever seen The Current War. I think I might have mentioned it before. Uh, But it is the the story of the battle between Edison and Westinghouse. And it's the battle over AC current and DC current. So Westinghouse had AC current. Edison had DC current. It's actually a great movie. It's a fascinating movie. I never knew uh, that this battle ensued until I watched this movie. What is really interesting about this movie is in this battle to supply the world with light, it actually reveals a lot about the darkness inside human hearts. Because throughout this battle, they are slandering one another, they are deceiving one another, and all of it is is a fight for power in order to be the sole distributor of this light. But it just reveals something. It reveals that mankind, humankind, needs a light that mankind cannot supply, does not have in and of himself, and the little lights that you and I create only reveal the darkness that's in our hearts. I mean, think about that for a second. All the good things that humankind has created, it also has revealed the dark side of humanity. Think about technology, education, Whatever it is. The world cannot create its own light because the world finds itself in darkness. That darkness is first and foremost found in our hearts. And that darkness is then shed abroad to the rest of the world. All the light that mankind has created has done some good, but has never brought us out of the darkness in our own hearts. There is only one individual that can do that, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus makes a really bold claim here, and he makes it in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. So as we said before, there's two symbols that they focused on at the feast. The one was the water, and Jesus then claimed to be the living water, the one who can have this supply, this endless supply of eternal life uh, to those who drink from him, the living water. 
And then secondly, there's the symbol of light. So in the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a period of time, it was called the illumination of the temple. They would set up these 75-foot menorahs, 75-foot candelabras, and then set them up and light them. And they said that it could actually light the entire city. It was so, so bright. Jesus then says this in that context. And basically he's saying, look, all of that light isn't enough. Because that light's going to go out. And man can create that light, but man remains in darkness. And then he says, I am the light that will never go out. I am the light that is going to lead this world out of darkness. And it's interesting because when you think about the Old Testament and you think about all the, all the sacrifices and all, all, the, all the events and all the feasts that they celebrated, all of that was called a foreshadow. A foreshadow of what? Jesus. There's the menorah standing behind him, illuminating the entire temple. And Jesus says, don't look at those. Those aren't going to get you far. Look at me. I'm the light of the world. And he makes kind of two claims here. So the first claim, of course, we remember when he says, I am, he is saying, I am God. Throughout this text, Jesus is saying, I am God. When Jesus says that phrase, I am, this is the one of the, this is the second, I think it's the second I am out of the seven I am's that he says in John, he is saying, I am God. And because he is God, because God is light, he is the one who can shine in this darkness and lead mankind out of the darkness that they find themselves in. The second claim is he's not saying I am bringing a light. He's not saying I am one of the lights. He is saying, I am the light, the one and only light, the one and only light that can lead this world out of darkness. So how do you and I get through 2022, 2023, 2024, and so on and so on and so on? Jesus is the answer. It's how we're going to do it. It's how we did it the past two years, isn't it? I can't supply the light, folks. You can't supply the light. But we know who can. And it's a light that leads us to eternal life. And it's a light that guides us through this world. Light must come from an outside source revealing the darkness, which is by nature exactly what light does. But I, I think in this context when he says this, they're also thinking of uh, the pillar, the cloud that led them by the day, and the pillar of fire that led them by night. And notice what, he, what it says in Exodus, by the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What does Jesus say? Whoever does what? Follow me. So Jesus is going ahead of us. Jesus is lighting that path and he gives a promise. So he gives actually two claims. He's God. He's the only light that can light this world. The world finds itself in darkness. But the two results are, number one, whoever follows me, will not, will not walk in darkness. 
Notice, with that one claim, he is asserting that this world finds itself, of course, in this darkness. And I often think about that, that we, don't, we can't see reality around us. We don't understand. When the fall entered into humankind, when the fall entered into human history, when sin entered into this world, our understanding was darkened. We think we know, and we make up things like Kubrick says, and we have ideas about what life is like, but we don't know. And we need an outside light to reveal what that's like. I remember being a kid, and I used to go near the sunbeam in the window. You ever remember the sunbeam in the window, and there was a shady spot, and then there's the sunbeam in the window. What do you ever notice about the sunbeam in the window? The little fuzzy things floating around. Do you ever see those fuzzy? And I'm thinking, I'm inhaling those things all day long. But you've, if you left that beam, did you see those things? No. And that's exactly what Christ does for us. He reveals the sin that's in our hearts and floating all around us. And he reveals to us what reality is like in order for us to be able to navigate through this world. There's a new app out. It's really, really it's cool. It's called Be My Eyes. So I want you all to do something right now. Don't worry, I'm not going to trick you. I want you to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. I'm watching, so I have my eyes open so I can see. And I just want you to think about the, the person that is sitting to your right or to your left and try to look at them and let me know what they're wearing. Nadia, your eyes, that's not closed. Nadia, she's cheating. Nadia's cheating. So how hard would it be to be able to navigate through this building with your... You got to open your eyes now. It's okay. I stole a whole bunch of things when you weren't looking. How hard would it be to navigate through this world blind? It's pretty hard, isn't it? They created an app. It's called Be My Eyes. It's, it's pretty ingenious. Um, and it was... It was, it was developed by a guy who was visually impaired in Denmark. It connects people, blind people, to sighted volunteers through this video chat. The volunteer can ask, answer questions because they can see the blind person's surroundings using the phone's camera. So for example, the other day, a Be My Eyes app user connected with a young man. He wanted to know the expiration date of milk. He showed the camera in the fridge, and the guy said, I want to drink that if I were you. I, I like this illustration because it's, it's a great parallel to what Jesus does for us. See, many, many times in Scripture, if we're in sin, apart from Jesus Christ, we're called blind. We're blinded spiritually. As a matter of fact, that's why the scales fall off Paul's eye. Jesus is about to heal someone from blindness, uh, which really just kind of denotes our spiritual condition. You and I are spiritually blind apart from the light that is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus then opens our eyes, and not only that, he guides us through this life. And the things that you and I used to think were okay, the things that, you know, we're grabbing that milk, we're like just drinking it down, and we're wondering why we're, well, it's bad milk. And Jesus is like, hey, that's not good for you. Don't take that. But Jesus, I, I used to drink this. No, 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 I know you used to, what you used to do. But now that you can see, that's not good for you. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There's no more darkness for those who follow Christ. That's a, now, it, it's, a, it's a continuous action. 
It's a continuous following. Some of us, yes, we acknowledge that Jesus is the light, but we like to kind of jump off that path, don't we? We like to jump off back into darkness. We're drinking spoiled milk, and then we're wondering, why am I so sick? Well, you stop following the light. That's what happens. But notice, it's a promise. He's saying, I'm the light, and he's moving. He's moving through this world, and he's guiding us through this world. He's a moving light. He's moving through this world, and those who follow him will not be in darkness. But he also gives us a purpose, doesn't he? Notice what he says at the end here. And he will have the what? The light of life. So that is the light of eternal life. It is a light that is salvation. It is a light that leads into eternity. But that gives you and me the purpose. Because if he gives us that light of life, then you and I can be what? Little lights. So Kubrick is wrong. You and I don't create our own light. As a matter of fact, we're given that light by Jesus Christ, the one and true light. And that gives us a purpose. So as we travel following Jesus, right, we're these little lights. People are like, where are you going? I'm like, hey, following him. Why don't you come along? Are you in the dark? Yeah, I can't keep fumbling around. I keep drinking this spoiled milk. My, my stomach keeps getting sick. Well, I got the answer. His name is Jesus. And he gives us a purpose as we move forward through this world into eternal life. These are pretty, this is some pretty big claims, isn't it? What is Jesus demanding of us? Our lives, isn't he? Why should we trust him? This brings us to our next point, the authoritative validation, verses 13 through 18. So the Pharisees don't really like what Jesus says here. The Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. You do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I am judging. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. I'm not alone in it. I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Maybe you got a bucket list uh, for things to do in the new year. You might want to put this on there. It's a tourist attraction in Chicago, Illinois. It's called the Willis Tower and Sky Deck. Has anyone been there? Nope. Okay. Field trip. Let's all go. So it, it is the third tallest building in the Western Hemisphere, soaring about 1,430 feet into the air. It has 108 floors. And on the 103rd floor, there is a sky deck with a spectacular 360-degree view of the city and all around. On a clear day, the visibility stretches out over 50 miles into four states. If that's not enough to boost your adrenaline in the sky deck, you can step out onto what is known as the ledge. <laughs> The ledge is these glass viewing boxes. Each 
box extends 4.3 feet outside of the building. And they are made of laminated glass. Do you know how thick the glass is? One and a half inches. Yeah, one and a half inches. Everyone's shaking their head. Come on, chickens. All right. So it can hold, or they claim, it can hold up to 10,000 pounds of weight. In June 2019, you know there's going to be a story behind this. A woman and her two children stepped out onto the ledge, and all of a sudden the glass splintered into thousands of pieces. You can imagine that the family was visibly upset. But you know what the makers said? They said, "Uh uh-uh. No one was in any danger at any time because the protective layer did exactly what it was supposed to do. It held up underneath the weight. Many, many times, and I understand this, and throughout our, our Christian life, we feel like Jesus is asking us to do this sometimes, isn't he? We're stepping out onto the ledge. Jesus is making a really big claim here, isn't he? And Jesus is asking us not to acknowledge he is the light, not to just give some sort of intellectual assent. Oh, he's the light. That's beautiful. That's nice. That's great. I'm just going to go on my merry way and go over here. No, he's telling, asking you to follow the light. He's asking you for your life. And he's asking you to place your life in his hands. That's what he's asking. So you might say, how can I trust him? How can I know what Jesus is saying is true? As a matter of fact, the Pharisees challenge him on that very point. Jesus is just talking about himself. It's like me standing up here and being like, hey, I'm the best singer in the world. Right? I'm great. I can do all this for you. If you follow me, I'm going to get you a job with the Country Music Awards, whatever it is. Right? And I can make those claims, and you guys would be like, what are you talking about? You're just testifying. Yeah, you're calling me a liar in sign language. Is that what that means? She's calling me a liar in sign language or something. Or no, no. She's saying no, that's not true. He's just saying it, right? He's, he's stating this, and they, they actually pull back to what he said earlier, that he said, I can't testify for myself. And that's when he brought forth the, the witnesses, the witnesses of the works, the witnesses of the scripture, and the witnesses of the Father. But that is because he placed himself in that framework. And notice what Jesus says here. Why, why can we trust what Jesus says? Why do I step out onto the ledge? Well, Jesus knows where he came from and knows where he's going. It's pretty simple. I love that answer. He knows who he is. He knows that he came from heaven. He knows that God's, he knows that he's God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity. He knows that's where he's came from. He knows God sent him to earth on a mission to be the light, to open up our eyes. And guess what? He knows where he's going. You can't argue against it. Light itself is what? Self-authenticating, isn't it? If, I, if this room's dark and I bring in a, a, a candle and it's lit, do I, do, you, do I need to tell you that's a light? No. Does the candle need to prove it's a light? No. Why? Because it's doing what it's supposed to do. It is what it is. And I find this kind of humorous because he's just like, look, I, I'm not lost. Jesus isn't the one who's lost, is he? We're the ones who are lost. Jesus actually knows the way. 
And when we think about it from our perspective, we think about this light that Jesus was sent to earth, that, I'm sorry, the second person of the Trinity, the Son was sent to earth, Jesus is born, he walks through this world, and then he does what? He goes to heaven. And now he's asking us to do what? To follow him. To follow him because he what? He knows the way. He's the guide. He's the one who's already traveled this path. And he's telling us, hey, look, if you follow me, you're going to end up where I am. Where are we following him to? Well, he tells his disciples, you're going to follow me through Calvary. But after Calvary, you're going to follow me to heaven. Jesus has paved the way. He knows where he's from. He knows where he's going. Therefore, he can lead those who follow him. Can he? That's how we get through the years. We have a guide who's been there. When we go fishing, we hire guides. We hire the guides who know what they're doing who know the waters, who know the river, who know the ins and outs, who know the fish. It's the same thing, except it's spiritual. Second reason that Jesus says is actually based on their judgment. So what does he say to them? He says, you, you don't know the truth. And in, in, in all of this, we have to see that darkness is not only just representing of man's sin, and the evil in this world, but it is, a, it is a distinction between truth and falsehood. And he accuses them, he turns the tables on them, and he says, look, you guys are judging from a human standard. And this is, this is part of the problem uh, that we have in our world today. People look at Jesus and they just judge him according to this human standard. They're judging him according to appearance, judging him according to the flesh, and they're, they're not judging him impartially, are they? I, want, I was thinking about this today. I mean, not today, but as I was writing this sermon. But I was thinking about how many times people like Kubrick and all these people can say and spout all these worldviews. Do they get challenged on that? Have you ever seen people get challenged on putting forth these worldviews, we, we look at them, we're like, oh, wow, you're so amazing. You're such a light in this world. You're so wise. And Jesus gets put through the ringer all the time. <laughs> Anything Jesus says, they're like, give me some proof. I want to see, see evidence. Have you, and then you start talking to people about Jesus Christ, and they're like, no, where's the evidence? And I'm like, dude, there's like a, an entire book on it. It's called the Bible. Do you know there's 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone, the most in any other book in the entire world? I, I mean, you know, but you know what the reason is? It's not because there's not enough evidence. It's because people love the darkness. That's why. John says it early on. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. He was the light. The world loved darkness. Why? Because its deeds are evil. It's not an evidence issue. It's a heart issue. And these guys see Jesus as a threat to their way of life. And many, many times, 
we don't want to believe what Jesus is telling us because we got to give stuff up, don't we? We want to hold on to that evil. We want to hold on to that sin. So maybe we'll acknowledge Jesus in certain ways in our life. But some of the other stuff, we're just going to go back into the dark room, keep it for ourselves. It's not because of a lack of evidence. It's because we don't want to change. I like the way the NIV puts it, that this standard is a human one. It's a fleshly one. It's based on our own understanding. And it's kind of funny when, when I hear, uh, you know, people who are, are trying to talk about evidence and trying to talk about truth and trying to say that Jesus, you know, was telling lies or falsehoods or whatever it is. But do you know that within, there, there's an interesting quote by Charles Darwin. He says, he says this, when I was a little boy, I was given much into inventing deliberate falsehoods. This is from Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin liked to lie. As a matter of fact, they say it raises a fundamental scientific question. To what extent are humans subject to self-deception? Studies suggest that self-deception, the active misrepresentation of reality to the conscious minds, is not just likely, but very common It suggests that there may be multiple sources of self-deception in our own species. Now, that's the evolutionary theory. You don't hear that a lot within evolutionary theory, but Darwin talked about self-deception and actually would say, I'm not sure if what I'm saying is true because of this evolutionary theory of self-deception. We know it's not an evolutionary theory, is it? No, it's a sin theory. And we like to deceive ourselves. And we're deceived by the darkness in our own hearts. So if that's the reality that we find ourselves in, now whether you say it's an evolutionary theory or spiritual one, right? You're in a reality of self-deception. Therefore, your judgments are flawed. They're wrong. And the only one that can give us the appropriate judgments is the one who is without sin. His name is Jesus Christ. It's an outside light revealing the darkness and the bias of our own hearts. Because we do. We have a bias in our own hearts. Even the scientists would agree with that. But Jesus gives them what, what, the, what, they, what they ask for, basically. He gives them reasons, and they're authoritative reasons. The first one, of course, being where he's from. The second one, he says, look, you guys are judging according to his standard. And the third one is the witness of his father. So Jesus isn't saying that he's not judging. He's basically saying, I'm not judging alone. I'm not alone in my judgment. And then he goes back to their law and he says, look, your law says this. You need two, two men or two, two people, two witnesses to testify to the truth. And he says, it's me and the father. Take it or leave it. We know that God has testified about Jesus. How has God testified about Jesus? And this is, again, going back to the evidence. Well, we know first and foremost that there's many prophecies about Jesus that Jesus fulfilled. So he testifies in his own scriptures. If people ask you, well, how does God testify that Jesus is the Messiah? Go to the prophecies. There's thousands of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Or hundreds of prophecies. 
the second way that he testified about Jesus is we know that the voice, people have heard the voice. John the Baptist heard the voice. His three disciples heard the voice. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. How else did he testify about Jesus? Through his miracles. Even the people themselves who were wondering about Jesus said, is the Messiah going to do more works than he is? The answer is no, because he is the Messiah. Even Nicodemus, who came to him, said, we know that you are from God because you do all these things. And then finally, he rose from the dead. (laughs) That's how God testifies about Jesus. He's still alive. He completed his mission. He came through this earth, and he rose from the dead on the third day, just like he said he was going to. Like many out there today, the Pharisees think they know all about God. They think they can break Jesus down. They think they can point out where he's wrong. They think they know about God. They think they know about salvation. But Jesus makes it very, very clear, very, very clear to these guys and to everyone else who's listening. If you don't follow the light, you're in the dark about the Father. It brings us to our third and final ray point here. The fatherly relation, verses 19 through 20. So they, say, they were saying to him, where's your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Lady tells a story about being an uh, English teacher in a small rural school. Uh, she had the pleasure of teaching her three sons. And she said that they begged her not to call on them in class, use them as examples, or tell any family stories, to which I agree. Pastors have that problem too sometimes. On the first day of class, they would invariably would choose to sit in a seat in the far corner and refused to make contact with their mother. She said, I left them alone, but making it to the high school English class was a rite of passage for the rest of the students. These students were very eager to participate in Miss Dupree's class. She said, I watched as my children began to see me through the eyes of other students. One day, one of the kids came up to her in puzzlement and asked this, Mama, do they know who you are? Referring to the fact that she was just a mother. To which she responded, Son, do you know who I am? And I think it's cute because of the familiarity with the mother. And they only saw her on a certain plane. The same thing has happened with the Pharisees with Jesus. They, they, they cannot elevate Jesus above this earthly plane. And they say, what they say here betrays exactly what they think about him. Where's your father? Who are they talking about? They're talking about Joseph. And they're still thinking of Jesus on this earthly plane. And as a matter of fact, this actually may be an insult to, because to question one's paternity in the, in the East was an insult to that individual. But basically, we know that they're not thinking of the spiritual plane at all, and they're not thinking that Jesus Christ has this unique relationship with the Father. So throughout this text, folks, 
there is one thing that we absolutely have to see. And there are many, many people, and I see it all the time on the internet, I hear people talk about it, that Jesus did not claim to be God. That is not true at all. At all. That's a lie. Because throughout this passage, that's exactly what Jesus has been saying. I am. Saying I am is Jesus claiming to be God. As a matter of fact, when he says that later on, and he says it without saying anything else after it, they want to kill him. They want to kill him because they knew exactly what he was saying. Here, when he says, I come from heaven, God. I'm going to heaven, God. And here when he says, the Father and I, in agreement, God, we are in this unique relationship. And then he makes this final claim where he says, look, if you don't know me, you can't know the Father. That's it. Saying he's God. And there are people, just like the Pharisees there, they don't want to make that connection. And they don't want to see that the only way to understand and to know God in heaven is to accept Jesus Christ, his son. That's it. That is the exclusivity of Christianity. There is no other light. There is no other way. There is no other means. There is no other person save Jesus Christ. When you believe in him, he will disclose the Father to you. The light reveals the Father. That's it. Nothing else. And this world wants you to think otherwise. This world wants you to think that there are many, 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 many paths to heaven not true at all in the least. And you have spiritual gurus in this world, and I, I understand they're unbelievers, they're in darkness, we need to pray for them, but they are teaching people, just like Jesus is here. They're teaching people, one of them's Oprah Winfrey, one of the most popular spiritual mentors in the world. People follow her all over the place. This is exactly what she says. Well, I'm a Christian. Okay. What does that look like? A Christian who believes that there are certainly... Now, uh, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. I thought there was no absolute truth. Is, is that a certainty? I believe certainly there are many more paths to God other than Christianity. That is wrong. It's a falsehood. What's she doing? She's trying to shed light on the topic of salvation. She's trying to tell you Look, you don't need to follow Jesus Christ. That is exactly what she's trying to tell you. And I'm telling you, she's leading people into a pit of darkness for all eternity. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. You can't know the Father. You can't get to God except through me. The apostles say it later on. Under no name in heaven can men be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. And the only way to the Father through Jesus is Calvary. Through the cross. What we celebrate right here. Not through works. There's not many different ways within Christianity. There's not you can follow the law. 
within Christianity and, and, and see the Father. Notice what John says after this. No one seized him because why? What hasn't come? The cross, his hour, his purpose for being here on earth, which is to do what? Procure salvation for those who follow him. Don't be fooled by this. Don't be fooled by what this world says. Many paths to God, many ways of salvation. Jesus doesn't say that at all. And please don't say that Christianity says that. That is not what Christianity says. I like what Kevin DeYoung, Christian author, says about this. He says, all paths lead to God. But only one path will present you before God without fault. And only one path will present you to God with great joy. He said, pick a path. Sure. Pick any path. It will take you to God, trust me. You one day will stand before Him. You will meet your Maker. You will see the face of Jesus Christ. Sure, there are many ways up that mountain. But I'll tell you what, only one will result in life instead of destruction. Think about what the proverb says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, destruction. Shouldn't surprise us because we're told even Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. Spurting out all of these wonderful, wonderful little teachings guiding people away from the one true light. As we enter into 2022, we ask ourselves a question. Are you living in the dark? Are you following the true light that is found in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him? to guide you. You trusted him to give you the light of life. See, there's a lot of people who will offer meaning, purpose, and tell you about reality. But those folks who say that it is found apart from Jesus Christ, they're going to leave you in the dark. What a wonderful way to enter into the new year knowing that Jesus has promised each and every one of us who place our faith in Him and walk the path that He's walking, that we won't be left in the dark and He'll guide us safely to our destination where we will be in an eternity of light with Him. Father, thank You Thank you, thank you for your word. Lord, we 
We read it and we study it every week. Lord, we just pray that all of those truths, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can apply them to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, help us when we're tempted to go back to the dark. Help us when we're tempted uh, to stop following. Lord, and help us to remain so close on the heels of Christ. Lord, guide us through this world. Lord, we pray as we enter into this new year that you would shine your light in our hearts. And use us, Lord. Use us to shine the light of your kingdom for all those who remain in the darkness. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.